and welcome to the Rethink Energy podcast uh, with myself, Peter White, and our analysts, Harry Morgan and Andrew Swantonar, and our product manager, Simon Thompson. We're going to go over the issue we put out on Thursday, the 15th of October, and ask a few questions and talk a little bit about what's behind the scenes. Um, first thing I'd like to talk about, um, vis-a-vis of nothing, is the discussion by the uh, president of the United States and the, his challenger uh-huh. on TV last night. Did anybody has anybody read anything up on this? I've I've seen a five minute summary on NBC. It, they mentioned uh, uh, renewables at the end, didn't they? They 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 had a discussion on climate change. Yeah, okay. I watched it. Uh, so. Apparently, yeah, Trump seems to think that fracking is very popular and people in swing states will vote for whoever keeps oil and gas and fracking flowing. Well, one million jobs depend on that industry, by the way. One million jobs. That's a lot. Yeah. And and he's preventing three million jobs from being created by not supporting the renewables industry. Yeah. One of the the interesting things in here is that the money that's spent on the fuel, the oil and the coal, it's not spent digging it out of the ground. It's it's given to the companies who own the rights to dig it out of the ground. It's just cash to, to their shareholders. That money instead in renewables goes into jobs and yet it still costs less. And those jo- there's probably three jobs in renewables for everyone in, um, in oil and coal. The other um, really interesting thing was that Joe Biden, he actually came out and made his position on fracking clear for the first time and said that he wasn't going to impose an outright ban on fracking apart from on federal land. Well, you take away federal lands, it's 50% down, isn't it? You take away the federal land that uh, Trump has tried to give away and and you've got no, you're not going to gain future um, reserves that make that give those companies valuations which allow them to borrow the money, which allows them to actually do the uh, do the extraction. So it, that's that's probably enough. But if he puts a carbon tax on them as well, uh, uh, he, he he said very clearly what he was going to make sure they did was um, stop emissions in the uh, extraction process. I don't think it can be done. No, you certainly think that it, if it could be done, it would have been done by now. I mean, the gas industry has been at full speed for well nearly a century, so. Yeah, I think the whole preventing sort of the methane leaks is something that, yeah, is very unlikely to be something that we see over the next 10 years. But we will see the oil and gas companies becoming much more accountable for it. I mean, we've got loads of satellites now that are actually scanning for this methane. So, yeah, fracking is, as they say, put a fork in them, they're done. They, they, they're never going to bring in any money. We should talk about our issue because um, we are going straight on to the same subject. Um, Harry talked about the... Um, that's our numbers. Well, Harry, you 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 start off by saying even the most expensive and unsubsidized solar farms in the U.S. are cheaper than any new fossil fuel plant. Discuss. Yes. So I mean, it's nothing. I suppose it's nothing we didn't already know, and it's nothing that if you ask around the energy sector, people that aren't really aware of. Um, again, it's people sort of like Donald Trump that need convincing on in this sort of argument, but. Essentially, if you look at things like uh, wind power at the moment in the US, um, we're sort of seeing single digit uh, price in terms of dollars per megawatt hour, which is is unbelievable, really. Um, The subsidies for solar and wind knocking between sort of five and ten dollars off per megawatt hour. So the big argument now is whether or not that 
we need these subsidies and i think that's what the lazard report's really shown this year is that um the market will still continue to thrive beyond it um i mean the price for wind and solar is still falling that was another real key point i think it's something like two percent for wind and nine percent for solar which means that they're not they're not mature by any means so there's no real expectation that these costs won't continue to fall the big sort of turning point as we've talked about in the past is that first that um solar and wind undercut new natural gas plants when unsubsidized which is what we've seen through this report and then looking forward when solar and wind undercut the cost of actually continuing to operate existing gas facilities at which point they're essentially stranded assets and you may as well if you're a developer shut down your gas plant and set up a renewables plant in terms of actually making more profit um and really if you if the sort of modest uh, reduction in prices that we've seen over the past couple of years continue this is within the next three years and any plans to build new gas plants in the us uh, should just be straight up cancelled i mean I it's a matter of who, who needs to listen i mean the uh, utility um uh commissions in the states i would say 50 percent of them already understand this um, when someone says you know we, we want to spend 650 million dollars on a on a gas plant they go we think you should look at this another way and they push them towards a combination of solar and battery and and that's going on certainly in california texas and a few other places where the where the iso where the actual uh, grid market is enlightened enough to allow those solar and and, and battery to trade uh, in the place of gas where they uh, stitch up the market um places like pjm it's it's perhaps not um quite so obvious um and it's because they believe they're protecting jobs fundamentally that the, the utility commissions believe they're protecting jobs i think there was the last year's version of these figures and the year before were already pointing in this direction i think the word is starting to get out and the question is being asked even in ohio um well what what should our strategy be and what should our guidance be to the utilities yeah, I think one of one of the great things about the report as well um, this time round compared to last year is that they've actually started to include those those factors that will change over the next few years. Like they included what would happen if the cost of carbon suddenly increases, what happens with the variation of fuel price, uh, and they've even included things like ha what sort of happens to the price dynamics if you want to incorporate uh, green or blue hydrogen into your into your gas fired power plants. Really interesting thing this week was the. Um, that Iberdrola were sort of increasing their stake in the US utility market. Um, do you think that this is sort of a sign that we're going to start seeing more European players enter it? I mean, I know for for offshore wind, for instance, when we look at this new these New York projects, we're starting to see I think Orsted, Equinor, um, Iberdrola all sort of bidding for them, with no US developers really applying. I mean, it's so fundamentally the cash-rich renewables, whether they are homegrown or European. Uh, buying out the ones who have lost their way. Yeah, I, I, I would say in the next 10 years, virtually every single one of the um, the American standalone utilities is going to be gobbled up by a larger entity. And Harry, you, you've been um, writing about geographical markets, China and Poland. Poland was the really interesting one, I think, this week, because um, there's always been a bit of an enigma uh, in Europe. Um, 
Uh, so the, the news was that PGE, which is the, the largest utility in Poland, has pledged itself to become 100% renewable by 2050, and that in sort of the near term is looking to offload its uh, coal assets. I think it's got something like 19 billion that it's looking to spend. Um, just like, yeah, the figures, I think three gigawatts of solar, 2.5 gigawatts offshore wind, one gigawatt onshore wind, uh, and 800 megawatts of storage is part of, basically part of this plan. I think there'll be some nuclear in there as well. I mean, we've seen Poland sign a deal with the US this week for some nuclear technology. The really interesting thing about the, the deal was that it's not actually promised to shut down its coal assets. Um, instead, it's just sort of shifting them to a an entirely state-owned company. Uh, PGE itself is part state-owned and has like really struggled to get investment um, over sort of the past few years as investors have basically said, we're not going to fund companies with a large amount of coal. I mean, PGE's got 80% of coal in its generation mix. So it's interesting that there's now going to be this other entity which has all the PGE's coal, um, which is essentially just going to be phased out over sort of the next 20, 30 years. Um, Obviously, that sort of points to the fact that the Polish taxpayer is going to suddenly face the bill of shutting down these plants. Um, but in reality, it will probably come through EU funding. Poland, to a certain extent, is holding the European Union to ransom um, right. for its participation in sort of the net zero plans. Um, I mean, it's the only country across the block that hasn't pledged itself to net zero by 2050. So, yeah, I think they'll be very much looking for compensation um, from the EU to get rid of this massive amount of coal that's got across the country. They, they already put some numbers on this before they said how much they would need and they're in, they're in negotiation with the EU. The, the thing about these, all these moves into renewables, is everyone starts up off with a Trump mentality. They're, they're too expensive, they're too difficult, they're horrible, they're hard work, we don't know how they work. And then they install one and they go, oh, that was easy. Oh, let's do another. Oh, no, we're getting a hang of this. This is really good. And then they go, oh, you know those coal plants we had before? Do you think we could have a bit of land? They were on because we could use that transmission connection. And actually, give us the coal plants back and we'll convert them into solar, pl solar plants. They, they, it's, that enthusiasm changes the rate at which things happen. But it, they've got to take the first steps first. True. And, and Therese, um polysilicon prices you've been writing about that this this week. yeah i thought i thought uh, i should just keep track of it because it is kind of an important thing so it's not news that polysilicon prices went up a lot they that happened when a bunch of factories got knocked out by fires and floods in july and august so really that's still it's basically the same the, the price rose uh, by between 60 percent and 100 percent depending on what grade you're talking about and it's basically still up there a lot of um, developers in China are now wondering, should we carry on building our plants or should we just wait a little bit to buy these the stuff? And, and it, it's, it's affecting the, the rest of the supply chain as well uh, with the ma wafer manufacturers. And the time is quite significant because um, by rights, because this is the last year for a subsidy for solar on the utility scale, you, you, you were probably going to see 20 gigawatts installed just in the fourth quarter as people rush to get in ahead of that deadline. So we'll just have to see how much of that gets impacted and how much of that gets delayed into 2021 to dodge the uh, these high prices on polysilicon. Uh, there's also glass, like a PV glass. Uh, what happened with PV glass is a few years back, they had way too much capacity, way too much uh, production capacity in the state brought in this regulation saying you can't build any more. You can only build new PV glass if it's replacing existing capacity. So now as, as solar ha has uh, increased, 
especially in the production lines recently this year, um, that they just aren't allowed to build the new PV glass that they should be. So uh, that'll probably be changed very soon, that regulation. So when does the when does the 14th five-year plan um, uh, come into play? It's early next year, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's it's um, very early next year. Yeah, they'll add, add polysilicon and glass plants mm. because in anticipation of the volumes they've got to do, and they'll start doing that now, I would think. Yeah. And it's worth noting when we talk about polysilicon, because this confused me a bit, that monocrystalline solar panels, apparently they do use monograde polysilicon. So... That was very counterintuitive. Obviously, polycrystalline PV is finally getting phased out. I think it's probably 10% of Chinese output right now. Yeah. But it still uses the monograde polysilicon. So. Okay, but I mean, I would expect uh, everything um, in China will be ramping. Um, the, once the five-year plan comes in, it's like an election, their five-year plan. Um, if you have a dumb five-year plan, you have a dumb five-year plan for five years. In America, if you have a dumb president, you have a dumb president for five years. Um, and and they, one may inhibit uh, certain technologies. Uh, it looks like it's going to be a very smart five-year plan, and it's going to make China more influential in renewables, not less. This current five-year plan, the 13th one, was supposed to be the pilot project five-year plan for all these new things that we've been seeing, whether that's uh, virtual power plants or hybrid renewable power plants or CSP or hydrogen, all the rest of it. Yeah. And then the 14th year is where they actually do it. So 14th, 15th and 16th, I would think. Well, yeah. yeah. Weird thing about China is they always sound really ambitious with their plans, but they didn't surpass it. I mean, they've, but they've stormed past their targets for the 13th five-year plan. Um, so you, you can actually take heed of what they say in their 14th five-year plan when when it comes out and I think it probably will be ridiculously ambitious in terms of uh, renewables installations. They will have done their calculations you know when you run a business um, when you forecast your costs you can forecast your costs within half a percent over five years it's that's easy if you know if you know exactly what your sales are going to be that's the hard bit and here this is a country where they know what the sales are going to be so <laughs> I, I think they will um, they have a 20% headroom factor built into these plans, and I think they'll beat these numbers by 20%. The, the official publication of the five-year plan is in March, but there'll probably be discussions and leaks and that kind of thing before that. Uh, okay, it's in March, so that's the that's when it that's when it comes into play, surely. So everyone's seen yeah. it by then. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so um, there will be some kind of statement um, for each of the technologies: solar, wind, and what what whatever else. Uh, hopefully a lot less coal. Um, I think that's all we've got time for this week. Um, we'll follow these stories as we go, and we'll be back with you again next week. Thank you.